0: given us a powerful thing with this thing about repentance and because when we it's it's not enough for someone to know that you're sorry okay you have to say I'm sorry but what's most important sometimes sorry is a word that we use a lot in the word, world and I don't really think sorry is a really biblical word when we're trying to repent what we need to say is will you forgive me? I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And maybe you can say, will you forgive me for this? Or you can say whatever it was. And now here's the release. When the person says, will you forgive me? When the other person says, I forgive you. Oh, there it's like you release that person. And it's so important. That, you know, that we walk this through, that we don't just assume that, oh, okay, I know they're sorry. You literally have to physically go through the motions and say the words. Because I have found many times in my own life, I think I'm okay. But then when I actually say the words, oh, man, that's when the hot tears come down. That's when my, I get broken. And then you're, and you, start to, you start to weep. And when you weep, see, weeping, we should not be embarrassed of weeping. Weeping is a sign that it went from the head to the soul, to the heart. There's a brokenness there. That's what David was crying out for when he said, he says it's a broken and contrite spirit is what the Lord wants. That's all. He doesn't want our knowledge. He wants a broken spirit. All right. And so... A lot of times I've found that when I actually say, will you forgive me for something, when I'm actually asking for forgiveness, man, that's where I start to get, I, get, I break. If I'm wrong, I, I get broken. And then the waterworks come. And you don't be afraid of those tears, them hot tears, because they cleanse the soul. Amen. It's like the, in the tears, man, all the dirt flows out. It's so wild how it works. But that's really... Really, how God has meant it, so I really admonish you to not just assume that somebody is is forgiven, but you actually go through the motions of saying the words, because our words release things so um, so verse eight then says, finally, be you all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, and be pitiful and be." Courteous. Now, that word when he says be pitiful, he's not talking about like sometimes we think when someone's pitiful, we think that that's more like a, a negative term. OK, but that word there is more tender hearted. OK, be tender hearted, be compassionate. All right. Um, you know, not to be cold. Sometimes I find myself when I'm getting off the interstate I can be a little cold towards the people that are holding the cardboard signs, you know. And um, whether they are conning me or whether they can work or whatever, must guard my heart not to be cold-hearted, but to be tender-hearted towards some, it's a human being at the end of the day. No matter what, it's a human being. Amen? Amen? And so that's what he's talking about there. But more important, he is saying towards one another that we should be this way. We should have compassion for one another. We should love each other, agape love, unconditionally. We should be uh, tender hearted and we should be courteous. We should speak to each other with respect. Amen. Amen. You know, I've been saved for since 94 been in the church since 1994 been in this church since 2010 and I'll be honest with you there's a lot of people has that, that has been in this church or in this church and I've just been really irritated with certain things but I'm, I'm, as the older I get, praise God, and I don't know whether it's just the grace of God, I'm really starting now to, and I'm, and I'm happy about this because it's taken me a long time. And so I'm sorry I'm self-referencing so much tonight. But I've realized that what I think is right does, cannot be the check valve for being compassionate, being courteous, loving, being tender-hearted, People disappoint, you still got to be tenderhearted, man. You still got to love them. You still got to love them, man. We've got no, there's nothing that anybody does to me that should hold back these things that Peter's instructing us. Amen. And that's hard, but also good, because what that means is is that it's got to be more of him through me. And when you make a decision to do that, the Holy Spirit, Jesus shines through. And that's really what we all want, amen? Amen. So verse nine, then he says, and not rendering evil for evil. You know, if someone does something wrong, I'm gonna get them back. I'm not gonna do this for them because they didn't do that for me. Railing for railing. um, Railing is slander. Someone talks bad about you. If you hear a scuttlebutt, boy, there's an old Navy term. Remember that term? If you hear a scuttlebutt, a rumor, um, you go and then you start spreading, you add on to it, or you think you may increase the story a little bit with a few more adjectives. We're not to do that. Um, but on the contrary, bless. Bless bless you know you know people that have hurt you in church and they're going to another church when you go by that church you don't sh- shake your fist i hope that church just goes down the tubes <laughs> no man you just bless them as you go by Amen. bless them lord i hope they grow a hundredfold i hope they are prosper and they never go broke and that hundreds and thousands come to jesus through their ministry. Keep them, Lord. Protect them. We bless. Knowing that you there unto are called, that you should inherit a blessing. Praise God. Amen? Amen. So we want a blessing, don't we? Yes. So why don't we bless? If we want blessing, therefore we should bless. Verse 10... For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from guile. Or no deceit. You know, another word for guile, you ever heard that phrase, they talk out of both sides of their mouth, you know, or you know, they're, they're, they're full of deceit or when they say something, they're trying to set you up. You know what's funny we are spiritual. And the more, you know, when you're born again and you're full of the Holy Spirit and you read your Bible, you begin to not really even, sometimes it's what person someone's saying, if you experienced this, it's not what they're saying is not what you're hearing. Anybody having that happen to them? In other words, they're saying something, but you're discerning something completely different. All right, because your spiritual antennas are up because we are spiritual beings, all right? And so that's why Jesus, when he talked about, um, uh, what was that disciple's name? He said, no guile is found. You know, an Israelite indeed with no guile, amen? And, um, you know, he wasn't in this to con somebody. So, Verse 11, let him askew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. So, you know, when you askew from evil, these King James words are lovely, aren't they? Yes, they are. Askew, to deviate, to turn aside. You see, you know, we were trained in high school, weren't we? Fight, fight! Where's everybody going to hear fight? They all run to the evil, don't they? We all run to see who's getting, who's fighting. You know, running. We have this habit in our fallen nature to run towards whatever's wrong. But here he's saying, walk away. Go that way, you know? I wish people would askew on the interstate when someone has a fender bender. Now, so he says, seek peace, all right? Be a peace seeker, but also be a peacemaker, all right? Seek peace, instigate peace. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil, Amen. Peter really is mentioning the word prayer here in this chapter a lot, you see. Our actions determine the size of the window of heaven that is opened unto us. But the face of the Lord, it's against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? Now he's setting us up there with that question. Who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? Remember what Jesus said don't fear man who can destroy just the body, but fear the one that can destroy the body and the soul. Amen? That's God Almighty. Verse 14 but and if you suffer for righteousness sake happy are you and be not afraid of their terror and neither be troubled alright but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts I love that sanctify the Lord God in your hearts what's he mean by that well 14 is telling us if you suffer for being a Christian okay don't try to render evil for evil. Don't try to, you know, slander when they're slandering you. Don't try to get revenge. Don't let your heart, you know, grow cold. But when you suffer for being a Christian, do not be afraid of terror. And don't be troubled. And this is important because we've said this this entire study of First Peter. We're living in a day where the, I believe we're just on the cusp now where the church and, and, and those that really believe in the Lord Jesus Christ believe what the scriptures say. I believe we're in a season where we're going to be coming under a lot more attack, a lot more scrutiny, you know? And when Jesus was slandered, what did he do? Like a lamb led to the slaughter, he opened not his mouth. Okay, we are to follow his example in verse fifteen. This is what it says: "But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts." So when you're being accused, persecuted, what you, by sanctifying the Lord, what you're saying is, you're like Jesus. You suffered. You took abuse. You took threats. You took persecution, and Lord, I'm taking this for you. Just like you took it for me, I'm taking this for you. And you separate yourself unto the Lord. That's what he means. Separate, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Make a, make a, make a personal covenant with the Lord. Instead of getting mad at the person that's treating you this way, just say, this is all for you, Lord. Amen. This is all for you. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So in other words, when people see that you're not retaliating, that is going to speak. They're going to be like, what's up with this guy? Why is he taking this abuse like this? And they're going to ask. And when they ask, then you be ready to say, Let me tell you about a man named Jesus of Nazareth. When he was brought to his accusers, Pontius Pilate. And you can go on and share the the gospel story there. With meekness though, not cocky. Verse 16, have a good conscience that where as they speak evil of you as an evildoer, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. So that's what will happen. And it always happens because listen, the Lord is the He's He's God over the universe. And it may look like someone's getting away with this kind of stuff for a little bit, but eventually the, it'll turn. Eventually the tables turn. Amen. And he says. When they speak evil of you, they will be put to shame. Now, the Bible says that the Christian is not put to shame. It says, we're, we're, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Amen. The Bible, there is no shame in hoping in God and his deliverance. Amen. Was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were they put to shame? Was Daniel put to shame? Was Peter put to shame? Was Paul put to shame? None of these men and women that have gone before us were ever put to shame when they put their hope in God. Because God uses these things to show the world his salvation and his truth, and the character of his son. You know, when Daniel went into the lion's den, when he opened not his mouth, he didn't start and go and rally up troops and try to fight Darius from taking him prisoner. No, he just accepted the punishment. And what did Darius say? I'm paraphrasing this, but when he saw that he was delivered from the lion's den, Darius praised God. He said, there is a God. The God of the Hebrews, he is God. You know, Nebuchadnezzar even said that too. So justices, kings, governors, people in places of authority, when they see the conduct of the Christian believer, when they do not strike back, when they take persecution and not open their mouth, it will be a witness to them that there is a God who delivers. Amen? Amen. And so... Verse 17 says, for it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil doing. And we talked about that in chapter two. You know, it's not a big deal if you take your punishment like a man when you deserved it. But if you get punished and you didn't deserve it and you take it like a man, that's thankworthy with God. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, Verse 18, for Christ also hath once suffered for sins. Was it his sin? Whose sin was it? It was my sin. Wasn't his sin he suffered for, but he suffered, didn't he? Did he try to get out of it? Did he try to play the blame game? Did he try to justify? No. He suffered for my sin, And still walked to Calvary. And therefore, if I suffer for another person's ignorance, I need to pick up my cross and I need to walk to Calvary. Amen? Amen. My reputation needs to die. The just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. (laughs) Being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the spirit. By which also, we'll hold off on verse 19. And so the same way in this thing where we suffer and we feel like we're wronged. When you take, take your suffering, you'll feel the glory of the Lord. I remember in Tucson, Arizona, when I was really getting my life right with God, and I was dating this girl, and um, I knew it wasn't going to work. She wasn't a Christian, and God was dealing with my heart, man. I was in a rough place, the backside of a desert, and when I, I just said, pull the car over, I said, you know something? I knew Jesus before I met you and I'm going to continue to follow him long after you're gone. I said, I'm going to serve the Lord Jesus and that's, that's what I have to do with my life. And boy, the onslaught of a cussing and name calling and the abuse and all the verbal you know, onslaught that I received after making a confession for Christ there I was always afraid of that. Some of you may have known this from my testimony, but I was always afraid of that as a kid. But when all that was coming at me, all I could feel was the presence of God. I felt the presence of God so strong. I mean, it was like a force field. Anybody ever seen that movie, The Incredibles, where that that girl's got that shield? I watch a lot of cartoons with my kids. Um, But it was the glory was like this shield around me, man. You know, and the Bible and the Psalms calls them our buckler and our shield, amen? And and his glory was like a shield. And when those words were coming at me, they were not getting on the inside of me. I couldn't even feel those words. I couldn't even, couldn't even, nothing was happening. I was just feeling the glory of the Lord and loving it, loving it was getting drunk in the spirit right there in the car man. It was crazy. And so this is what happens when we really when we're willing to take things like that for Christ, the glory of the Lord it will it will come down on you. And in a sense you will feel that glory that was in the resurrection. That's why when Paul said I Cease to know nothing but Christ crucified, right? Why was he saying that? In other words, he was saying, I cease to know nothing but Christ crucified because I want to be crucified. I want to have live the crucified life. Why? Because if I live the crucified life, then what happens? Then I live the resurrected life of Christ in me and his power and the hope of glory. That's why he ceased to know nothing. When he says, I ceased to know nothing but Christ crucified, in other words, he don't want anything to do with Paul. I don't want anything of Jeremy Moore. I ceased to know nothing but Jeremy Moore dead to himself so that Christ in me can live through me and be everything that he wants to be in me, amen? And so that's why it's not just the crucifixion, it's also the resurrection. So, verse 19 then. So he's talking about when Jesus rose, when he when he died here, before he rose, by which also, let's start at verse 18 again so we can get the flow of this. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh. But quickened by the Spirit. By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Which sometime were disobedient. When once the long suffering of God. Waited in the days of Noah. While the ark was at preparing. Wherein few, that is eight souls. Were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. All right. Peter gets into some wild stuff here. All right. And this kind of sets up 2 Peter as well. But we've got some things we need to kind of look into here. Now, I will say there's some controversy in this. All right. But I'll tell you, from my point of view, from my background, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a kind of a dispensationalist guy. I'm a Finnis Dake, Schofield, Tim LaHaye. You know, that's kind of my bread and butter. That's kind of the vein that I am in. Some people may not be in that vein. Those of you that are teachers or that you studied the Word of God a lot, you may know what I'm talking about. And most of those guys Feel that in Genesis 6 when it says that the sons of God came down and w- went unto the daughters of men that that was not godly men being with ungodly women but that was actual angels that left their first estate. In other words, they left their original Thing of who they were okay and a lot of people and this whole thing about greek mythology and the the all the different things if you've studied that in school a lot of these offshoots come from the the offspring that came from this union all right so That's what we're gonna talk about a little bit for a few minutes here, and I can already see people's eyes going cross-eyed out there, so bear with me here for a little bit because you know how I am. If it's in the text, I like to take a look at it. I'm not gonna avoid the hard subjects, even if, and this is a subject, I'll be honest with you, I'll read one commentary, I'll think, that's it right there, T's got it. A Couple days later, I'll read another one, I'll be like, That's, he's got it right there. Because, you know, but you've just got to, you've got to read the scriptures, all right? And the scriptures are pretty clear if we have the patience to go through them. So what time is it now? Quarter after. So first of all, let's, let's talk about the verse for a minute. He says here in verse 19, by which also he went and preached under the spirits in prison. Now, we know in Ephesians 4, it says that he went and he took captivity captive, all right? Now, you've heard me preach before. The underworld, first we got to start there because that's what we're dealing with here, okay? We're dealing with the underworld. Now, the underworld, according to the scriptures, has the following compartments. There's a word called Tartarus, all right, or prison. There's a word called Hades, There's a word called abysso or bottomless pit. And there's a word called Gehenna or the lake of fire. Those are the four compartments, if you like, in the underworld. So this word prison here, if we go over to 2 Peter, it gives a little answer to that. So go with me over to 2 Peter for a minute. Um. And I'll give you a chapter here in a minute. Second Peter. Uh, Second Peter chapter two. All right. And we're at um, verse four. And the context of this scripture is that God is people out there, they think that God is going to change His mind when it comes to judgment. He's not because he's never changed his mind when it comes to judging, all right? And Peter gives us an example here in verse four. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, all right, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and if turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemn them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly, but he, and delivered just Lot, vexed with their filthy conversation of the wicked. Look, verse nine. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation or trials and reserve the unjust unto the what? Day Day of judgment to be what? Punished. In other words, so Peter's saying, God has set a track record up in the Old Testament that he has not withheld judgment. He even judged these angels, okay? That left their estate and did what they shouldn't have done. Now, that's what he's talking about in verse four. Now, look where he says, see where it says, but cast them down to hell, okay? There's a few, hell is translated at least four ways in the New Testament, but this word hell there is not Hades. It's not the lake of fire. This word hell is Tartarus, okay? And Tartarus is a prison, and I'm not making this stuff up, it's just in the Bible. The Holy Spirit saw fit to have these guys write this stuff, okay? So there is somewhere down in the underworld a, 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 a jail, a prison, where when these spirits acted up, God said, You're not gonna roam the earth, you're not gonna continue to act the way you're acting and mess up humanity. Because Satan had a strategy to pervert the line of the Messiah. You're not going to do this anymore. And he took him and he locked him away in there. That's what he did. He locked him in this place called Tartarus. Why the Holy Spirit saw it fit for us to know that? I just know that he did. And it's there. There's one more place that this section is, is in Jude. Jude. Jude is only one chapter long. In verse six, go there with me real fast. Jude, verse six. That's that one page before Revelation that I keep passing over. All right, say amen when you're there. Is everybody okay with this? It's getting kind of quiet out there. Thank you. All right. Now look here. When you hear me said, kept not their first estate, you'll see the context of why I keep saying that. Let's start at verse five. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believe not. All right, there was a whole group of people that left Egypt that when they turned on Moses, when they started rebelling, God opened up a pit, and they were swallowed up. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And also, I'd like you to put in remembrance, verse 6. And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. Now, that word habitation there. Is that word that when he's the Bible refers to our body being the tabernacle, all right, or the habitation of the Holy Spirit? It's talking about their, their state or their body. Left their own habitation, and he hath reserved in everlasting chains under the darkness. Unto the judgment of that great day. All right. So once again, it's the third place that this is being being mentioned. There's a place somewhere in the underworld called Tartarus, where there's these group of angels that have left their first estate that are sitting there, reserved unto judgment. So then you got to ask yourself, what are these angels? Where do they come from? Where was it first mentioned? So then you go over to Genesis Chapter Six. Genesis Chapter Six says this, um, verse four. And there were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old and men of renown. Now the word giants there is where we get that word Nephilim that some of you may be familiar with. The word Nephilim is never again used in the Old Testament when it talks about giants, ever, again. It's the only time it's ever used, Nephilim. And if you trace back the different scriptures about the giants in the land, obviously there was some sort of offspring that came from this unholy union Okay, that created a a creature that was you know had real how was big. So there's, there's some there's some um, scriptures that they think thirteen feet tall. I mean, lots of power. I mean, Goliath was a giant. Giants in the Bible are not a rare a rare thing. They're all through the Old Testament. Okay, so. These sons of God, a lot of scholars, Bible teachers, commentaries that you read, many believe where it says the word sons of God there that they're talking about these angels. These angels that were incarcerated in Tartarus. All right. Now, there are other teachers that will read and they'll say this is this line of Seth, that this is the godly line that had relationship with ungodly people. And a lot of good people believe that. My only question to that is, if that was the case, that it was just Hebrews marrying non-Hebrews, first of all, why was this offspring of some special note? Why, what was so, you know, because Hebrews have married non-Hebrews all through the Bible and we didn't have this, this mentioned, all right? There was no weird offspring when, um, you know, in Ezra, when they were building the temple, and all of a sudden they started marrying wives from the other other nations. This didn't occur. The second thing is, if why this huge act of God that came in the scriptures, where He took these spirits and locked them up into Tartarus. Okay, so something crazy happened here. I mean, that's just the reality. Something more than just man with man happened, if you want my opinion on it, all right? So I'm putting it out there because it's in Peter, and we're talking about it. You can, there's lots of resource there. You can study it out yourself. But there was obviously some things that happened here. And you can study, you can go on YouTube, and you can be on this for days as they talk about all this kind of stuff. But it is interesting that some of the traits that we see when people talk about mythology and some of the things that, you know, these different, you know, people had, you know, it could be that they were just exaggerated stories from a time, you know, before the flood. All right, so... Anyway, so there you go. That's, that's some, some homework for you. I won't take up a Wednesday night Bible study too much longer on that other than I'm just giving you the references and you can do the studying on your own. Um, I will though for, I will refer you to Dake's study Bible. Um, 10 proofs that these spirits are angels. They sinned in the days of Noah. If these were human souls, it would not specify only those who sinned in the days of Noah. Human beings are never called spirits. Where human spirits are referred to, it is always qualified and clarified by speaking to them as the spirits of men. Spirits of all flesh or spirits of the prophets. People have spirits, but they are not... They have spirits, but they are not spirits. Where the word spirits is used without such qualifications, it refers to spirit beings. There's a special prison for angels that sin before the flood, according to 2 Peter and Jude. The Greek word for preached that we read in 1 Peter 3.19 is the word Caruso. And it means to proclaim or a public crier that announces something. But it is not the word where we get the word evangelize from. It's a different word. So when he says, you know, so when it said that Jesus went to this place and he preached, it's not saying he went and he preached the gospel. I feel that what he did is he went there and declared, I'm Jesus, okay, and I'm judging you. He's, the, he's pronouncing the judgment to come that it, Jude was talking about, all right? And if you read the book of Revelation, you'll see where all these things all end up in the lake of fire, which is Gehenna, all right? So it's, it, it's not to be confused because many people confuse it with, where Jesus went down to Hades, all right? Remember, we talked about before, Hades now is that place that has two compartments, Abraham's bosom, the good side, and the, 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 the place that we saw, I can't remember, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the bad side, all right? You know, that's the place where, you know, he said, if I could just go over to the other side, we, we've talked about that before, You got Abraham's bosom, and you've got Hades or hell. This compartment, as we know, we've preached before, is empty. According to Ephesians 4, when Jesus went down, he took captivity captive. Abraham was there. That's why it was called Abraham's bosom. They were all waiting for Jesus. They were all believing that the Messiah would come. They were there waiting. Jesus did come. The Messiah came, and he's like, here I am. You've been waiting for me. Let's go. So he took them all to heaven with him, and he left all the unbelieving dead on the other side. That compartment is still there today. All right? So there's no special prison for human beings who sinned in Noah's day and another prison for all other human beings who have sinned. All go to Hades until the judgment. Christ made no announcement to human souls in hell that we know about. He did liberate the righteous souls, taking them to heaven with him when he ascended on high, according to Ephesians 4. All right. Christ himself, not Enoch, Noah, or some other man, went to preach to these spirits. This could only be while he went the same time to Hades and do what he did in Ephesians 4. Whoever the spirits are, they were in prison when Christ preached to them. And all of these facts indicate that they were angels and not men. All right? So, That's just a little bit of information for you because, you know, there's some hard sayings in the Bible. You may not necessarily know where to go to refer them, and I give them to you. Some people like me really get into this kind of stuff. Other people just say, move along, please. All right? So, there you go. I'm going to finish. I did finish reading the chapter, but we'll touch base on the last few verses next week. Praise God. Love you. Thank you, Pastor.